Welcome to another episode of the Get Fast podcast brought to you by Trivolo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined, as always, by your hosts, Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivolo Coaching, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. I just never have felt defined by um, my ability to perform on the sporting field. I finished the 24 hour and I had. I was essentially in heart failure, and I've never really thought about this way before, but I actually had achieved that finding my limits, you know. This is part two of our interview. If you haven't listened to part one, we recommend you go back and listen to it. In part two, we're about to dive deep into Mitch's 12 and 24 hour world record attempts. That's right, Mitch rode for 12 hours and 24 hours on separate occasions, attempting to break the world record for the longest distance ridden over that time period. It is an epic story. We can't wait for you to hear it. But Giant, I mean, moving on to the 12 and 24-hour records, Giant had a big part in being part of the team that supported you in that process. So we do want to dive deep into into these two records. And it kind of sounds funny to skim over the 12-hour record to go to the 24-hour one because it's bigger, but both of them were just as incredible as each other. Um, I don't think that people can really understand it it just sounds like an extreme number and it's almost like once you get to a million dollars 10 million dollars doesn't really sound like that much more but to ride (laughs) to ride 37 kilometers most people couldn't do that couldn't hold that 37.3 or whatever it was for people couldn't do that for an hour let alone you know a pro rider that might hold it for three or four or something ridiculous like six hours and then you think okay, it would be absolutely extreme for someone to hold that for 12 hours and then you do it for a full 24-hour day. I mean... Before you answer this, Mitch, I remember seeing you sit down at the chair at the end of the 12-hour and (laughs) the the look on your face, and I remember what you said, staring straight at the crowd, and I think you eyeballed me saying, don't ever let me do that thing again. That is so not what I want to ever do again. And here you are, 12 months later, lining up to do it, not only once, but double. So the experience of the 12-hour, look, there must have been some dark, dark periods in there that, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, oh, yeah, it was tough, it was it was hard. But, but seriously, were there times in the 12-hour, and I know in the 24-hour when you were really struggling, but the 12-hour... Let's just go one step at a time here. How how bad did it feel at times, and what was your mindset a, around that? Look, it, it, the, the the I went to the twelve hour was going to be a stepping stone to the twenty four hour, right until the point that I did the twelve hour, <laughs> because essentially, you know, I'd, I, I'd I'd seen Drew do the the twelve twenty four hour record attempt, and I thought. I think I could do a better job than that at logistics and, and track selection and blah, blah. Um, you know, I'd seen that he'd gone on a road bike as well as a time trial bike because he'd backed and got it too uncomfortable. And I thought, look, I need some experience before I go off and, and do a 24-hour world record. So I actually, first up, I went down for nine hours down that um, crit course um, on a public holiday weekend where I actually got ruddy turn up with a Scott Slow sign 
on the dangerous corner. And I actually, I did nine hours of, of laps to see whether I thought I could ride the, the world record. Well, that's fantastic. So I did that at, yeah, that's, that's a good but, start. We you know, were going to ask that question. What preparation did you do yeah. to get yourself ready for a 12, let alone 24? Yeah, well, this is the thing that I, I knew that, you know, I, was, I was already knew I was good at nine hours of exercise and I could be world class at nine hours. It was just a matter of then thinking, well, this is a totally different game doing just cycling. And I wanted to make, I wanted, I was aiming for 500 k for that um, 12 hours. And so it, it actually, the experience I knew would be instructive um, doing the 12 hour about how to then potentially prepare for a 24 hour tilt. And it, it actually was incredibly important. It was, in, you know, those three stepping stones of 9, 12, 24. If I had just done a 24 hour, I actually don't think I would have been able to do it. I, I would have mucked something up. Good so, point. Um, as far as the, the, the mental, um, I wasn't as mentally prepared for the 12 hour as I was for the 24. So yes, my, when I finished the 12 hour, what I hadn't anticipated was, um, well, how hard it is to ride at 42 k an hour for 12 hours. It's, it's fucking hard. Mm. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if we could swear on this, but it was, it was, it was, <laughs> We want some good descriptions, absolutely. and that does it. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely like it was like applying paint stripper in your bloodstream for the last four hours, and and the the the, the additional um, mental pressure of well, for starters, I said I'd do it, and so I was bonded to finishing the twelve hours. Um, I was also doing it for the cause of you know for, yep. for Craig, so. I, First of all, who you know had passed away, and I was raising money for his family, and you know his family were on the course. But it was just more that I was—I hadn't—I was bonded to finishing something so incredibly painful. And I'd actually say that from an intensity perspective, the, the 24-hour look, and I know it's kind of hard because you're kind of delirious in the last six hours of the 24-hour anyway. But um, I hadn't—I hadn't. I hadn't Understand, understood that it would be inc- so incredibly difficult. So, you know, I got to the finish, and oh, that twelve-hour, I was, I was so surprised at how toxic I felt. And in fact, I actually ended up insomnic for probably the best part of a month after that. Um, you know, I couldn't sleep, um, and the psychiatrist who I was, I saw afterwards. Well, I'd been seeing him for depression before that, but you know, he he thought I had delirium. Mm. So essentially, yeah, I I was uh, yeah, I was in a absolutely in a world of mental hurt that I hadn't anticipated having. So yeah, brutal. So yeah, the, I was much better prepared for the twenty four hour. But that's, much, much that's what's prepared. good about um, the way you've gone about it is, you know, people have really massive goals in that are probably almost unreachable for everyday, you know, riders. But to pick a 24-hour and not do something prior, six, nine, I mean, you've already had experience as, as a triathlete to, to, you know, doing 30 times a nine-under-hour un- day. So you've got that under your belt and, you, and you've gone out and done a nine-hour pre a 12-hour. So your preparation is, is something that, really needs to be mentioned and yet you've really gone about it in a way that's methodical and it sort of is indicative of the way you think about things and set goals. 
What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I, sorry, Jordan. I mean, so what I was trying trying to do was um, gain enough experience. And so, you know, the things that I put in place after the 12 hour were, well, I, I went and saw my psychiatrist um, once a month for the 12 months leading in because, and we, and we weren't talking about my depression anymore. We're actually, we talked about performance because, you know, he, he's got, um, his specialty is, is post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, we talked about the 12 hour for quite some time, but also, you know, we put in preventative measures for how I would be mentally prepared for, to do the 24. And then, you know, I, I actually physically um, and mentally, the, the, the other things that I did were, well, I, I did some ultra-long rides, uh, which you'd expect. So, you know, my Saturdays became... Um, legendary, four to I can five tell you. <laughs> legendary. Yeah, they were, they were pretty legendary. I sat behind um, you for about 10 minutes one day and you were doing 40Ks an hour and you'd already done 480K that day. <laughs> uh, we, we had some silly training days. But, um, uh, and you know, like I anticipated that the overnight would be difficult. So, you know, say one night um, I'd... Uh, I'd been at work all. I'd trained on um, the Friday morning. I'd worked all day, uh, got home, and then went to bed for an hour. But then got up and rode from eleven o'clock at night until ten o'clock the next morning. And you know, like these were all ideas that I sort of I'd simmered on, spoken with Damien about, spoken with the psychiatrist about, and you know, so my mental preparation for the twenty-four hour was just it was just vastly superior. And so when things did go wrong as they ultimately did, um, then I, I was able to deal with them and, and able to come up with, you know, I was prescient enough um, to come up with solutions on the fly. And it was it's the 20 years of experience that I had, yeah. plus the 9 and the 12 that added up to it being a successful day. I'm really glad you've gone into that detail because it sets the scene of what we were saying before. Of It's hard to comprehend the difference between 12 and 24 hours, but it's literally double. Before we go into that, when you say the 12 hour hurts so bad, yet you've had experience of 39 hour Ironmans, what, in comparison, what made it so painful? What made it so hard compared to the Ironmans that you'd been through the same sort of pain? Well, I mean, you know, triathlon, you get the swimmers are warm up. <laughs> um, uh, some swimmers will disagree, and, right? <laughs> and then realistically, well, you know, I was, yeah, I, I wasn't that good of swimmer, but um, you know the swim, it, it, the, the changes in mode in triathlon make it make it um, manageable, a different proposition. Whereas um, you know the concentration, I think it's the it's the, the concentration required. So the, I think the course down there that I had was one point three k's, and oh my, anyway, I can't remember exactly. It, you had to be focused and in the right gear at every corner. I took the same line, you know, I was 300 plus laps and I just had to be diligent and disciplined um, to be able to hold, you know, I think it was the average wattage ended up being um, in the realm of 260 and to be able to hold that um, and hold your TC position and, you know, your inside leg gets um, mm. a different workout than your outside Left leg. turns. And your, yeah, your undercarriage is horrible. Um, you know, they're just, and yeah, and such a high intensity, it's hard to also stomach your nutrition. Um, whereas in the 24 hour, you can, yeah, you, the nutritional proposition isn't the intensity so much as 
the duration. Um, so yeah, it is actually just a totally different skill set, 12 and 24 hour. Um, there's some overlap, but actually, yeah, you, you need a, a totally different skill set. So, um, and yeah, that's, and that's kind of why, um, yeah, I think I was very well prepared to do 12 hours because of triathlon. But yeah, nothing in Ironman really prepares you to do um, the 24 hours. It's, it's, it's a, a totally different thing. So after you'd completed the 12 hour, and, and mind you, 12 hours at 42 k's an hour for those who ride a bike know that doing 20 minutes at 42 k's an hour is not that easy to achieve. So to continuously do that round and round for, for that long a time, the intensity of that, it must have taken a toll on you. It, it did. Like I, I actually wasn't sure that I would go on and do the 24 hour after that because it just... Um, and also, you know, I had a, uh, uh, we had a baby on the way. Um, I was a bit worried about the physical toll in terms of not just the training, but also, um, I mean, I wasn't worried about dying in the 24 hours, but uh, I was worried about what the effect that it could have on my body, that it could damage me irreparably, um, especially from a cardiac perspective. So. Mm. You know, that's why I put in place, again, you know, using my um, uh, my medical and uh, scientific brain was putting in place this um, team of scientists where we, we, you know, we, we get to publish this paper, but um, essentially we collected um, a heap of cardio, cardiology data, some blood data. Um, we did scans on the heart, um, three immediately post and then three weeks post for both the efforts. And... Um, with, you know, with the help of Dr. Andre Lagersh down at the Baker Institute. So, yeah, we, I sort of in part, I put that in place too because, you know, I've got an inquiring mind and I wanted to, I knew I was going to do this <laughs> more than uh, mm. uh, more than once. I wasn't planning on that. And so, yeah, I put that in place. And then, uh, yeah, it also was a bit of an insurance policy that I knew that there would be doctors on site. But if something did go bad, I wanted to make sure that, you know, like, yeah, I, I had some yeah. some upcoming family responsibilities, and I, you know, I didn't want to drop dead just riding right around around a track. It seemed like a silly thing to do. The the data that you collected, and, and now you've you've got uh, access to all that. Is there anything there that that uh, has worried you uh, from from putting your body? Oh, yeah, through? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the you know, my heart. At the end of the 24 hour uh, was um, the ejection fraction, so essentially the amount of blood that the, um, the ventricle, ventricles were able to squeeze out um, uh, had reduced to 30% of its, its um, free event. So essentially... That's just inflammation, Mitch, is it? Or? Well, it, it's fatigue. It's specific fatigue in the heart muscle. So basically... I finished the 24 hour and I had, I was essentially in heart failure. Um, I wasn't able to lie flat because um, my lungs were full of fluid. Um, and yeah, like all the enzymes in my heart were sort of at a level where that, you know, Andre and emergency room doctors see in, in people who've had heart attacks. So, you know, it's not that good for you. <laughs> like, you know, I was in mild kidney failure. Um, yeah, it's a, it, 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 you know, it, it takes you back to the um, quote by uh, uh, 
Mark Owen, that, you know, I went to the well one too many times. Or, you know, you can only go to the well so many times. And I sort of felt as though that 24-hour really was my last visit to the well um, from a... Um, especially from an endurance performance sort of day because I sort of, I, I, you know, and I also did probably what most athletes, and I've never really thought about this way before, but I actually had achieved that finding my limits. You know, you talk about um, mm. always looking it? to find your limits, but, but I, I think I found it for 12 hours and I certainly found it for 24 hours. And in hindsight, I think I found it in Ironman as well. You know, I don't think I could have done any better Yep. Sure, I might have trained better, you know, the, the 11th place in Hawaii, you know, I, I did that with a, a tibial stress fracture. So, you know, I wound up on crutches mm. um, after that after that day, knowing full well that I was going into it with a stressy. Um, and so, yeah, like, I don't think I'd left any stone unturned, but, yeah, I guess the, the, the thing that I feel resolved about is that I stand my limits on uh, you know, and I actually was able to to push myself to my limits because yeah. of the range of experience I had um, from a scientific, from a nutritional, from a pacing. Um, yeah, all that stuff fed into me being able to push my body to its limits. And I showed that physiologically that, mm. you know, I was in heart failure. Mm. <laughs> you can't so, go any harder than that. Mm. So if you had have ridden 884 kilometres... What the response have been? Well, you know, I, I guess uh, it's hard to address that as a hypothetical. Um, I think uh, Paul Rice, who's a friend of mine, who's a surgeon I work with um, every Friday in foot and ankle, um, he looked at um, the amount that the record for 24 hour had been broken by every year. Um, every time it had been broken. And essentially, it only gets broken by between half and um, 0.7%. Half the one? Oh, anyway, a small percentage it Not gets much. broken by. Not much. And, you know, like early on in the 24-hour, it looked and felt for all money that I was going to ride 920K. Yeah. Um, but realistically... Um, that's if nothing goes wrong. Like I, I think I probably could have ridden nine twenty nine thirty k if nothing had gone wrong. And you know, there's some things you just can't control. Like the the temperature of the night was so cold it ended up being you know somewhere between six and seven degrees on the track. And I was uh, you know I got cold and my guts didn't work properly when it got cold. And you know all, all those little um, cuts actually make a make a huge inroad into you know, your hypothetical performance. So, so the barriers you know, the Jerry, barriers were certainly there, weren't they? You, I mean, you, start of, you started poorly with, you know, mechanical oh, yeah. failure. You lost, well, how much did you lose in time there? Oh, oh look, I, I lost probably one and a half minutes. But, but look, in the scheme of things, that's more a frustration than anything else. Yeah. Just, so much um, preparation. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go and get you know, all these little tiny... Fifteenth of a second, you're trying to gain, and then you yep. end up doing something silly at the start. But um, could it cost you the, the record? Well, well it, it could have. It didn't. But yeah. um, look, I, I think I, I gathered up enough small marginal gains mm. to quote Brailsford um, that I wasn't going to end up 
missing the record. Um, sure, I could have broken it by more if I had had a perfect day. But yeah, look, Jerry, you know, to, to your point, um, I, I was never going to fail to break it. <laughs> I know, I know that sounds silly, but I, I had, you know, Damien actually said to me one day, um, Damien Angus said, "Oh, you know, have you thought about the possibility that you're not, you can't do it?" And it had never crossed my mind. I was always going to do it. Like there's just, yeah, I, I, I guess there's no sense in um, even thinking about failing because you know I, I thought I'd, I'd crossed um, enough T's and dotted enough I's that yeah I was a good enough athlete to do it and, and I was and I had enough things in place that I had a good buffer between me and the previous record. That's fantastic. And, that is that's. So I guess, and I think that's probably the way that. You know, I guess that's the way that demarcates me, and probably demarcates a, a good athlete compared to a a, a very good athlete is, um, you know, indemnifying you, yourself against poor performance by preparing properly. And I think, you know, if anything, and I know you guys are sort of hearing me loud and clear, if anything demarcates me from um, Joe Average in triathlon, it's that I sort of I have always felt that I've prepared for my, for my events, um, you know, the, I guess the best that I possibly can. And I, I haven't, I haven't ever um, done junk miles. Uh, you know, I've always had a good mentor in the way, I say with Damien and um, I even had a mentor when I first came to Melbourne who actually, is not, his name is Jeff Thompson. And, um, yeah, Jeff was instrumental in, in helping me get into medicine and start my triathlon career. And um, uh, he set me up with Gary Zimmerman, who's a sports, who's a, you know, remains mm-hmm. my sports doctor. And it's just all those little um, collecting people and collecting one percenters and holding on to them that, that demarcate you, I think, if you take that sort of professional attitude to um, performance. Yeah, it's not going in with arrogance either, it's going in with confidence. And for the listeners out there, and you know, we've got lots of um, triathlon enthusiasts that uh, you know would love hearing um, that you know the better prepared you are, it's, it's an obvious thing in life anyway. Whether you're at work or business or your, your passion, whether you're going to play golf, if you know if you don't prepare, you're going to p- perform poorly. So you know you've emulated that, and and it's 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 going in with confidence. And and I always say to our guys. If you have a, a really good plan um, for your race, you've almost got the answers. It's almost like taking a cheat sheet into the race. Here's your numbers. Here's the pace you're going to ride at. Here's the pace you're going to run at. And and you are confident, aren't you? Because you've done it in training and you know you, all you've got to do is execute it. But one of the things that happened to you oh, was yeah. there's, a, there's a whole lot of things that happen on the day, like you were vomiting for 10, 12 hours. Um, that's got to put a real thought into your brain about am I actually going to finish this even though you are confident but that would have that would have been testing you I'm sure oh yeah don't worry it tested me and I, and I felt um, worried about the prospect of not finishing but that that, that was in my that, it was in my mind but, but I guess um, you know I never thought about stepping off the bike I was you know <laughs> funny actually um, Ethne uh, my wife and her um, brother, who's a um, 
psychologist who worked at my clinic, Dan, um, we put in place a um, um, psychology um, uh, questionnaire, basically. So every hour I was asked um, three questions. One of them was about um, rating my perceived exertion, so between 1 and 20. Um, uh, the second was um, uh, a mathematical question, so I had to, or a numeracy question, so I had to be able to remember um, five numbers and repeat them backwards um, in backwards order. Um, and I was, I rated, um, you know, essentially, I was able to do that for 24 hours without getting a number wrong. Um, and the third, so you know, just sort of that mechanical. Um, planning prescient mind was still there mm. but then the, the, the last question was a was a more creative type question so um long lines of you know can you name um all your nieces and nephews or you know five of your nieces and nephews and um or who who um, was best and fairest in the grand final in you know whatever it was so the, you know more creative type questions and um essentially it was the creative stuff that, you know, obviously you don't send any blood to your creative brain when you're cycling for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, it's not required. You know, the flowery creative mind isn't required. And, no. um, they thought that the questionnaire had been set up for, um, you know, if I started going downhill, that they would say, oh, well, you know, we're going to get you to stop because you're, you're not passing your questionnaire anymore. When really I just set it up to, to make sure that I had a, uh, you know, a scientific psychology aspect of the study that we were doing. You know, I was never expecting, I was never stopping. It didn't matter how bad I was going, like I was going to fall off the bike. Just as a matter but, of interest, um, what was your worst rating of perceived exertion when you had to answer it? What, what did you get? Did you get under under five at any stage? Oh no, no, no! I was, I was, I ranged between twelve and near the end. I think I got to seventeen point five or eighteen. You know, on the I last just, lap. Well, I just, I, it was really odd. I mean, it's, it's, it's an out-of-body experience. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a few things in your life where you look back and you think, oh, well, that doesn't feel like it was me who did that. It feels like it was someone else. Um, you know, it's, one of the examples of that for me is um, uh, my former married life. Like, it, honestly, it feels like a sitcom I watched on, mm. like Seinfeld. <laughs> like, what, you know? <laughs> Mm. 10, 12 years ago, I, it doesn't feel like it was actually my life. And I think it was a real out-of-body experience, the um, the 12 and 24 hours. It, it's yeah. almost as if someone else was writing, not me. Um, it's really hard to explain properly, but, um, yeah, I don't feel as though I was physically present. And I, it, it maybe even coming into that imposter-type syndrome again, it can't possibly have been me who did that, but I know that it was, if that makes any sense at all. It's incredibly fascinating to hear that side of it. Based on that, what was your mindset in terms of your preparation and then even during it as comparison to the rest of your career and your life? Because you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that you were never that caught up in the result. Um, You prepared as well as you could. You were confident in your ability all the time. But this is a totally different, totally different, like you said, skill set and event. Did you have the same mindset? Did you have to shift something, especially with your medical knowledge of 
what was going to happen and the science of what could go wrong, you know, you probably knowing that might have been more of a curse, knowing that your heart actually could go into failure, your kidneys are going to failure, your lungs were going to be full of fluid. I mean, I just can't fathom how that would not scare you into that uh, mode of potentially questioning yourself or stopping or um, pretty much psyching you out of the of the event before you got there. Yeah, I guess, no, no, I, thought, I guess that's why I set up the insurance um, policy, which is to have other people to take care of me because, you know, I, I sort of understood that my single-mindedness would mean that I was absolutely going to go for it. Um, well, not irrespective of the consequence, but by and large, uh, knowing that if there were negative consequences that we'd be able to sort them out. And actually, that sort of let me, again, get to my limits. Um, uh, I think, uh, look, I think that what I started to say earlier, which I didn't do a very good job of explaining, I don't think, is that um, I think the satisfaction that everyone gets from elite endurance, or endurance sport in general, not just even elite sport, uh, is that it's very process-driven. And so for me, I was getting so much satisfaction out of the process of, well, in the same way that I got, um, you know, um, satisfaction out of the process of doing my um, university degrees, and you know, I was twelve years of university full time. Um, you know, I guess that process of um, getting better at learning, um, in the same way, that the process of of preparing for and executing an event with um, a team around you, uh, and it, it, yeah, it, it was the, it was the entirety of the process that I was gaining satisfaction from. So even if I had a, you know, again I didn't think about this beforehand, but even had I failed to execute on the day, um, I still would have had a lot of satisfaction about executing the leader and actually being able to actually get to the event. Because getting to the start of an event like that, in the same <laughs> way that getting to the start of an Ironman, is for a time trial or whatever it is, it's extraordinarily difficult to turn up uninjured. You know, like the week before the 24-hour, I had a urinary tract infection, which is, you know, something that I've sort of been afflicted with over the course of my um, professional um, career because I, I had a little malformation in my urinary tract. But it, I guess, you know, again, again, I was able to get on antibiotics early and get over that. And, you know, I guess, yeah, turning up to an event injured and not sick mm. is incredibly hard. And it's probably why I rate my 12-hour in terms of actual performance, absolute performance, over the 24-hour. Like, you know, the, the output that I achieved in the 12-hour was, you know, uh, is in my mind, you know, um, higher than the output I managed to achieve in the 24, um, because, yeah, like, I, I guess, yeah, it's the execution as well as executing the, the leader that was, that was um, important. So, yeah, I just, it's the, uh, being, enjoying the process is by far the most satisfying part. That's my point. Yeah, that's fantastically made too. And, and look, with every uh, build to every event, um, it is a massive process to, to get yourself, as you said, uh, to the start line for a start and then execute. But at the end of the day, there is enormous satisfaction and that's probably why the majority of us go through such processes to get there. 
But we also, once that's a week or two behind us, there's a little bit of a void. And this is the, the area that we really want to um, delve into a little bit with. Um, did you have a, a big, did you have a come down from that, you know, that high that you were on? Was there a big letdown in in the you know the, the the weeks after, and if so, how did you how did you how did you manage that? I've got to be honest. I, I felt relieved, <laughs> um, uh, re- relieved from the, the fact that I'd been executed, um, and also that I they, I could I could become just ordinary Mitch, you know, r- rather than you know having to, trying to achieve, achieve something extraordinary is stressful. Um, and uh, also gathering all those people around and getting them to give up their time for you, it, it, it heightens the pressure. And and I just felt wrapped that I'd been able to um, achieve my goal. And so I didn't feel I didn't feel any letdown at all, other than the fact that I had a fifty cent size hole in my bum, um, which was a bit of a letdown. <laughs> um, uh, you know the. The, the physical stuff I knew I'd get over. And then mentally, I was in much better condition because of all the work that Jeff and I had done in the lead up. And also, I had I had him in place afterwards as well to go and see and talk about things with. So, yeah, I, I actually didn't suffer any really negative sequelae. Because to me, this was the, the cherry on top of my sporting career that I actually never thought I'd get. Um, you know, after I got divorced and... Um, I wasn't even sure that I'd end up getting remarried, and I certainly didn't think I'd get back to a really elite level in sport um, in the way that I was able to. And uh, and I think, yeah, I just sort of felt like, as a forty-two-year-old, that it was a, it was an amazing experience to be able to to get there and to and to actually be able to execute it. it yeah, it was it was extraordinary that I was able to do that. So. Yeah, from the perspective that, I, like, I get you from, you know, I felt let down previously, but to me, this was the ultimate thing that I was going to do on the elite stage, and then I got to just exit and, and take the pressure off myself. So it was a, yeah, it, an exhale and shoulders dropping moment rather than feeling um, a sense of sadness or a sense of remorse about anything. It's really incredible hearing your answers, Mitch. Um Based on what you're saying and listening to your talk, it, it really sounds like you have a, a strong ability to almost disassociate yourself from uh, being swallowed by negative thoughts or negative emotions when it comes to these things. You're really able to focus on the goal and focus on the outcome that you want. Um, and we will talk about that in regards to um, mental health and depression because we do really want to touch on that. But in terms of the actual performance of the 24 hours, when when it was really hard, when it was as painful as it could get, or even the 12 hour, what kind of things do you say to yourself? What, what is what is going through your head in those times? Well, I guess I'm just being analytical um, about, um, uh, uh, look, I, I mean, everyone has negative negative thoughts, but um, if I have a negative thought, what I start thinking, well, you know, am I well fed enough? How's my pacing going? What's the, you know, what power am I riding? What's my cadence? Um, what's what's causing the, the the negativity to come out? And um, I guess the other the other point that I, that I wanted to make is that I think this is again, and I know I'm harking back 
to this this range thing. I think if you make your physical performance or your you know your race performance the thing that you define by, then if it doesn't, you know, it actually it probably never achieves. You never achieve what you would hope to achieve in sport, as opposed to you know you're the hypothetical you versus the actual you. Um, you know, those two things never really meet, and I think that's maybe why I had a near asymptote where I really did get those things to nearly meet. Um, but it's, it's having that other range of other interests that allow you then to not have that down period or the 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 you know the post race depression because you've got a full life and you've got mm. you haven't you know given up absolutely everything to achieve on a sporting stage when there's far more important things like your family or your career or your friends um, to to take your interest and and hold your life happiness and I think you know that's kind of the mental health aspect that I I really try and drum into my patients that you should you know if you're constantly defined by um, what you're aiming to achieve on the sporting field well you can end up disappointed and um, yeah, I guess it's, it's um, uh, not any secret that um, you know when I when I go back and look at um, how I was motivated in my sporting career compared with um, my ex-wife Bridie, um, you know from the moment I met Bridie, um, she wanted to win a world championship or win a um, Olympic gold medal, and that was never my sporting intention. You know, I, uh, I had that stepwise um, approach to improvement. And as such, my hopes were never dashed. Whereas I think, you know, Bridie had a lot of disappointment in her um, sporting career, probably up until the point she did the, um, the hour world record. Um, and I think a lot of disappointment was fed into the fact that she just wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. And that, that's just incredibly high standard and it's really hard to achieve something like that. So I think, you know, you have to have that mindset that's rational, that's realistic. And then if you exceed your expectations, well, great. Then you can raise them in the next next time. But, you know, I think having a world championship type attitude is going to bring most people undone. You know, very few people get to go out and do that. So I, I think it's, it's taking little bites and little steps, um, uh, you know, climbing Everest, that you, you, you can't keep, you can't just keep looking up and thinking, oh, I've just got to achieve more, achieve more. It's, it has to be a stepwise process and then you're much more likely to achieve your goal. But my, my question then is, Mitch, when you're 14 or 16 hours into a 24-hour record and you're vomiting and you are not comfortable at all, Surely just thinking, well, my life's pretty good. I don't need this record isn't very motivating. That doesn't encourage you to go for another eight hours. So how do you hold those two beliefs at the same time? Oh, no, 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 no. So, uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're trying to say. I was still motivated to, to achieve my goal. Um, it's just that um, not being defined by your goals, I think, is important. So yeah, I guess they're in. They're, I guess you're right. They're in conflict with each other, um, but I guess you're relatively unburdened if you're if you're not really, um, you know, if you're not 
yes, you have to have high expectations, but if you're not absolutely defined by them, then you're unburdened by them. You can actually go for it. Whereas, you know, if your expectation is to win the Olympic gold medal and that's what you will only be happy with, well, your chances of winning a lot like that are incredibly low. So, yeah, I felt that maybe, you know, maybe I was just um, in denial to myself that um, I really wanted it as much as I did. And maybe this was my modus operandi of going, well, it's not that important. To, or it's, it's, you know, it's not the most important thing in life. So if I don't achieve it, well, I don't, you know, that was, that gave me uh, an out. But realistically, I, I, I never anticipated not getting the record. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think you have to have that mindset to achieve to achieve a record or world record. It makes a lot of sense. It's pretty profound, I think, what you're saying. It's um, extremely motivating it, and inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know, my um, I've got I've got this plan of doing a PhD when I finish um, when I finish work here, you know, you when do. I'm yeah. say 60, <laughs> 65, where I actually think that the thing that I'm, mo- I'm really interested in is denial um, and how useful denial is because you know we we touched on before you know you mentioned to me Jordan that um, um, I guess being being worried about the the physical downsides of what I was trying to achieve, the potential downsides. Mm. Uh, again, maybe I was practicing denial, um, and that's, that's incredibly important in your life, being in denial. So, uh, I know you have a loved one, and you know you have to really deny um, any um, negative thoughts about your loved one to actually be in love with them. Like, you know, everyone has their downsides. And you actually have to be myopic and be able to ignore them and be able to be in love with someone. And uh, I think uh, that's probably the same for achieving in sport. And I, I think it's kind of feeding into um, this imposter syndrome that I'm sort of talking about. But yeah, I think that you really need to um, not think about negative sequelae, to, to not deny they're ever going to happen to you. And then if they happen, well, then you cross the bridge when you get there. That, yeah, I um, I think there is just such uh, I will say the word again profound um, lessons in in what you've said. I think it um, if someone was to ask how to approach life as well rounded as you can, I think you've kind of really given some strong answers in the last ninety minutes of this uh, epic podcast. I do still want to touch on um, how does everything that you're saying tie into um, mental health you're a big mental health advocate you really advocate advocate for um being able to um improve our mental health and um be aware of it and know how to um know how to cope with it so how does this uh, all apply with you and um, what you do with your patients and your work and all areas of life yeah look i think it yeah it you have to be well-rounded um uh, to again indemnify yourself against um, negative thoughts, but also to really enjoy your life. I mean, I I just don't think um, unidimensional people end up being um, that happy. And I think um, I'm sure everyone um, at home can think of um, you know someone who becomes overly focused. In fact. Probably even yourselves at times. That if you if you find yourself being um, incessantly focused on one thing.
thing, it, you're a hard person to be around. And I'm sure that I was a hard person to be around um, preparing for the um, 12 and 24 hour. And certainly at times when I was preparing for, for Ironman, um, you know, ultra endurance is a, is by necessity a, a very um, greedy and um, selfish sport. And I, so I guess having lived through those times, um, having had depression myself as a reaction to um, the the end of my marriage and um, uh, having to sort of, um, well, having had um, suicidal thoughts um, myself, which is in stark contrast to every ethos that I hold from in my life, I guess having seen and felt those um, feelings in myself and also, um, you know, my brother-in-law, Liam, who committed suicide um, uh, two years ago, uh, and how it, it, it just has such so many effects and so many ripples in the pond um, in other people's lives um, when that sort of thing happens. But, yeah, I just want to do everything I can to, to help others um, uh, navigate through those difficult times. Um, there's a an irrational aspect to suicide um, that you know. Again, we all try and make sense of people who suicide when actually there's no sense in it. And I think um, uh, that having felt those feelings myself in the past, um, when I was um, floridly depressed just has given me I guess a, an insight into the helplessness um, that you feel in those times and um, yeah like I said that you know I, I don't shy away in any of my consults um, or, or with my friends um, uh, and family about talking about the experiences that I've had and I certainly will happily engage with any patient you know a patient might come in with a sore toe and I'm more than happy to hear about how they're feeling a bit down because that one conversation, who knows, it, it, it might make a difference. And if I can make a difference to just one person's life about even sharing my story and saying, well, you know, I was profoundly depressed. I still take antidepressants now, so I'm not going to get a, um, a recurrence of my depression and I still see a psychiatrist. And I think that's just what I need. And, you know, I've still been able to achieve, you know, what I consider to be quite great things in my life and I'm an extraordinarily happy person now um, having gotten over um, uh, serious depression so yeah in a bit of a rambling way I guess that's you know that's my interest but I just want yeah I want to help one other person and that will have all it will have been worth me telling my story a hundred times yeah, it's fantastic that you've been so honest and upfront and uh, and you know really uh, sharing your experiences because that's going to really help um, the listeners because right at this very particular time in uh, society where you know we're in the massive uh, middle of a, a pandemic and and you know the mental health of people is being challenged uh, everywhere around the world and uh, you know it, it's just such a crucial part of our life that uh, if you know people who seemingly and you from the outside look like you've got you know everything uh, lined up in a row and uh, things are going beautifully and you know it's just not the case everybody has things that they're struggling with and um, it's you know how you're dealing with it and, and the things you put in place to to uh, make sure that you can um, 
navigate your way through all the hurdles that are going to be put in front of you. And I mean, the way you carry yourself, you've forever got a smile on your face and, uh, you know, you're full of life, but, but yet you've got those feelings as well. So it's just, it's just not um, a particular type of person who, or personality that uh, has these experiences. Yeah, I think that um, it's a spectrum and I think everyone um, at times feels down their life and that's completely normal. It's, I'm sure most people don't feel profoundly um, down and depressed. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a scourge that um, particularly young men um, have to cope with. And I think, yeah, uh, you know, I had a guy in here not so long ago who I shared my story with and um, uh, having he was having some, you know, he was worried that he wouldn't be able to um, uh, achieve some sporting success if he took antidepressants. And, you know, I took antidepressants the whole time. Uh, you know, 12, 24 hours. It, it was performance enhancing. I wasn't depressed. So, you know, like, uh, I think, yeah, there's, you know, people talk endlessly about the negative um, potential side effects. But, you know, you can't possibly achieve in your life if you are depressed. It's so, such a, again, it's a very negative and very um, and selfish illness. It makes you selfish. You can't help it. But, yeah, I think um, if you imbue yourself with some um, positivity, if, if it takes some medication to that, well, great. You know, like I would never have been able to do my world record if I was still depressed. So mm. I, I consider having, yeah, like I said, taking the um, anti, uh, anti-inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly took them through. <laughs> Um, uh, the antidepressants were, yeah, you know, like a, a big part of my success. So, what is your what is your specific message that you want to share? I mean, apart from staring, sharing your story, which is incredible in itself, um, is there a specific message that you want to get out from your perspective? Oh no! Look, just yeah, find someone to talk to. It doesn't matter if it's a family member. A, Go and, talk, go and talk to a doctor, go and talk to a psychologist. Keep trying and don't be afraid to seek treatment because you know, I spent five years untreated in terms of medication for my depression. I, I saw four, five psychologists. Um, and it just took the right person to, to really reach me. And I haven't looked back since. You know, like, it, I, didn't, yeah, I, I just think, you know, Jeff, when I talk to him about this, he sort of he defers um, responsibility that you know he was the one who helped me more than anyone. But you know, I, I'm I went from being profoundly depressed um, to having a relationship with a psychiatrist who then got me on medication, and since then I've got remarried, um, had a couple of kids, and I couldn't be happier in my life. And I sort of think well, that's what I want for everyone. You know that that, that I think everyone should aim to achieve a happy life and if you're miserable well you don't need to suffer so just keep trying until you find someone to help you yeah that's that's uh, really well said and um it's it's something that uh we we really need to seriously consider uh because there's going to be good times every day every hour um every week and there's there's going to be some really uh not so good times and you know you, you've just got to understand that it's not all um roses and uh you've got to be able to you know find a mentor find a buddy someone who who definitely you can share share something all you need is someone to listen to so um 
Yeah, it's it's really it's really great that you're getting that message across, and it's something that uh, yeah we we really are so grateful that um, you've been able to spend such a long time with us, Mitch. And um, and I know you're a very busy man, and uh, you're running a really uh, busy practice because I'm sending a lot of the Trivalo athletes to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, yeah, we're really grateful with uh, with um, we do finish on one question though, and Jordan loves throwing this one at at our. I do want to quickly finish on two lot of notes. One is that uh, something we didn't get to touch on today, maybe for another time, but could you summarise something that was a bit lighter in your career but still tough? Summarise your experience on Tour de Croft in 2013 for us, just briefly. Oh, uh, Tour de Croft um, was uh, just a riot. I can't believe that I got paid to ride across Australia <laughs> and with one of the, one of Australia's best flights. Yeah. I mean... You know, Cross is an absolute ripper. He's um, he's he's a you know credit to the great man. He's he's um, selfless in the extreme and probably you know to his own um, detriment sometimes. Um, but you know he's he was a great person to get to know, and you know I don't get to talk to him very often, and I know he's he's busy. But yeah, he 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 truly is a. Um, I think I think he's a great Australian. I think you know we we don't we don't um, hold our um, Australia medals um, uh, probably they, they're probably given to not sparingly enough. They're given out too frequently. Mm. But he he would be a worthy recipient um, one day of uh, of an OAM. He's a he's an absolute ripper. Yeah, absolutely. Might be a story for another time. So, as Dad said, our final question we like to ask our guests is, what lesson have you learned in the past 12 months? It can be in any context. It can be about your vinyl collections or anything you want. But what lesson have you learned in the last 12 months that you would like to pass on to others? Oh, dear. Um, don't, have, don't have two babies under two and try and renovate a house. <laughs> Well, you've managed to what? do both. <laughs> what a nightmare. It almost killed me. It's hard than the 24 hour. <laughs> no, that's good. That's a great way to finish. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Mitch Anderson. We really appreciate it. It's been invaluable. Um, very long podcast, but you've got such, uh, such awesome stories, um, epic stories to share. So we really appreciate your time on here. All right. I hope, congratulations to everyone who got to finish of this. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure most people who started will have finished fantastic mate thanks for your time this has been another episode of the get fast podcast brought to you by try Velo coaching if you enjoyed this episode like so many others have please please leave us a review leave us a comment let us know how much you enjoyed it leave a review on any podcasting app or in iTunes, it really does help us. And please share it to your friends. Tell other triathletes and cyclists like you how this podcast has helped you train smarter and race faster. If you want to download our Expert Secrets Cheat Sheet, that is a cheat sheet with the very best tips, secrets and advice all the guests like Dr. Mitch Anderson have given on our podcast. We've had former athletes, current professional athletes, Ironman, triathletes, cyclists, former Olympians, all give their very best secrets for how to perform at the elite level. They give inside tips, they give what works for them, the mental and physical things 
that give them the edge over their competitors. So if you want to get a cheat sheet of the very top tips from them, just go to getfastpodcast.com. That's getfastpodcast.com. You can download all of that in one simple document.